This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, this is Jan and you were listening to the Langpreneur podcast. Welcome back to the show. How was your week? My week was very normal, actually, as usual, just, you know, working, f- staying focused and uh, doing a lot of good things like interviews for the Langpreneur podcast, also some client work. And for some of you who don't know, I actually run three businesses, right? So the translation business, I run that with a partner back in the Netherlands. Um, and then Language Boost, where we sell language courses, and then Langpreneur. And actually, recently, we've been getting quite a bit of traction with Langpreneur, so that's all really exciting. So I'm spending more and more time with um, Langpreneurs, with Langpreneur these days. So, yeah, thank you guys for all your support so far. We've almost been doing this for a year now. And, uh, yeah, here these podcast interviews, that's, you know, one of the things that I, that I enjoy doing the most. So we have another episode for you, another interview with you, with another Langpreneur. And, you know, so far we've been interviewing uh, so YouTubers or people with an audience, right? Or a blog or, well, like Langpreneurs with any kind of following. And then we've also talked to a few founders of a language learning apps, or language exchange apps, think about Tandem. We had Thomas Dickmice on the show, the CEO of Tandem, and to Zachary Ngai from HelloTalk, uh, Gabriel Weiner from Fluent Forever, uh, Peter Galante from Innovative Language. So there's lots of things that you can do with languages, right, with language education online. Um, today I'm talking to Dimitrios Polyglonopoulos, yeah, polygonal. It's a difficult name to pronounce, but I think <laughs> I got it right. And Demetrius um, runs. He worked. He partnered up with with the Founder Institute. So maybe you've heard about the Founder Institute before. They basically help people with a startup to get traction and to uh, to also find investors, basically to get the products off the ground. And Demetrius does this specifically for the Founder Institute for the language learning niche. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what it takes to create a great language business startup. Now, you might think, okay, you know, maybe you're you're not a startup, but I think, you know, I think many of us, we we actually doing very similar things Um to what startups are doing and maybe we you know we don't have an app or you know like an online platform but we all do have a following and we all do have a product or at least at some day we all hope that we're going to have some product or service that we can sell to an audience right so the things that we are talking about here um yes it's it's, it's specifically for a language startups but you know we're also going to talk about lots of things we're also going to share lots of you know, insights that you can use for your own business. For example, we're going to talk about um, how a successful business always have, has to solve a problem, right? So, so many influencers out there with millions of followers. 
but they're not solving a problem. In the end, what they're doing is just entertainment, right? And you can still make some money with that, especially if you have a big audience. But if you have a problem, and you guys, you guys are educators, right? So you are solving a problem, right? You're helping people to overcome the struggles of learning a language. Um, we're going to talk about why that is so important when uh, when starting a startup. Um, validating your idea. Uh, we've talked about that a few times before. You know, actually, this morning I received a question from somebody over Instagram. Jan, should I first create a course, or uh, or first validate the uh, first validate the idea? And yes, of course, you should always first validate. Ideally, you first sell and only then deliver. Only then create and deliver the product. So I'm going to talk about how you can do that. You know, as a langpreneur, why you need a vision, what makes a good team. Many of us are working alone, but uh, some of you guys always uh, also, maybe you have a business partner or maybe are looking for a business partner. I'm going to talk about um, how you can find a good business partner uh, well, and a good team. Do you need finance to scale? Like If you have a startup, if you do something with technology, do you really need investors to come in and help you finance a project? And we're also going to talk about how to have a successful pitch um you know if you want to if you want to raise capital you should have a pitch right so that you can attract convince investors to invest in your project now if you are not looking for investments i think this is still an interesting topic that we're going to discuss because i mean a pitch yes of course you you need a good pitch if you want to sell or if you want to convince investors but also if you ha- if you have a product that you want to sell to your audience you also need to be able to pitch and we will find out that the techniques and the structure of having a good pitch is every it's actually very similar to a sales pitch so um yeah, I, I hope you're going to like this episode. I enjoyed it very much. I think you can hear that from the conversation that I had with Demetrius. And I think there's lots of... It's it's slightly different. Like, it's not... It, it's not a Langpreneur, Langpreneur. I mean, it's not a Langpreneur in the sense of... I mean, not interviewing a YouTuber with an audience that sell courses. But, um, but there is a lot of lessons that we... A lot of interesting takeaways from this interview that you can also apply in your business. So without further ado, let's get started. Here is my interview with Demetrius. Hey, Demetrius, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Please tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what it is you do. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I really, really appreciate the opportunity, Jan, to be here on Langpreneur podcast. And a little bit about myself, uh, my background. I'm I'm a bit of a language geek. I've always had a passion for learning languages. I dre- dreamt about learning languages as a child and traveling the world and achieving achieving that goal of um, going going around the world and using the languages. So I was uh, in many ways wanting to be in practice, not just learning the language in a in a bubble, but actually had the goal of of learning that language and then going to a country where I could use the language and. So I achieved that goal as well. So um, I grew up in the States and had Greek um, Greek school and Greek family around. You grew up and in then, the States? I didn't yeah. know that. And then I, um, so I'm a dual national of US and of Greece and then um, ah. went forward with French. And my best friends in high school were from France and then went to France several times before doing some studies in France as well, uh, earning scholarships and and so on and then staying in in France and then 
after I finished my bachelor's degree, I moved to Taiwan. So during my university studies, I had my foot in different languages because I also did a program to the Soviet Union. So overall, I, I, I had English, Greek, French, Italian, Russian, and Spanish. And I did like a summer in uh, Central America while a university student and a little bit of American Sign Language. So six languages plus American Sign Language and finished my bachelor's degree and had been to about 40 countries at that time. Moved to Taiwan, started teaching English there and then working as an events coordinator and studying Mandarin. And then did my first master's degree in the Philippines in international studies, started working with Tagalog and Bahasa, Malaysia, Bahasa, Indonesia, and dabbled a bit with Japan, Japanese um, with a cyber vision course and lived in the Far East for about five years, started working um, in Greece as a tour director running tours between Greece and Turkey. Uh, so started studying Turkish and then started studying, um, after I started working in Spain, started studying Catalan and got my Spanish improved and so forth. I got to use the languages a lot, so improved my Italian and my Spanish uh, through working in Italy, in, in Spain, in Costa Rica, in the tourism industry. Started studying um, Portuguese kite surfing in, Portu in, uh, sorry, in, in Brazil, in Rio Grande do Sul in Brazil. Um, moved from Greece to the Canary Islands, moved from the Canary Islands to Norway. Started studying Norwegian and Dutch and German uh, along the way during those times. And doing, um, got involved, I did my MBA here in Norway. And so in the MBA program, there were a couple of classes. I was basically doing it to pivot uh, from the tourism industry to another field. You probably remember you and Ali, you had been in Venice and I saw that, um, that you was, were in Venice and I was at the Daniele Hotel. I had a tour group there in Venice that and was, so that I was, was able to have lunch with you and Ollie and then spend some time. Yeah, just for our listeners, because yeah. I think it was really funny. So a few years ago, I went to, I went to Venice with Ollie. I mean, we're shooting some videos for our YouTube channels and stuff. And Ollie was doing a, was an Instagram live, right? And as he was doing it, Demetrius, you know, commented or sent us a message and he said, hey, I'm in that hotel in the background <laughs> right so we was like we didn't we didn't even know that you were in italy or that you were in venice and it turned out that we were doing the instagram live literally in front of us the hotel where where he was at the time so yeah demetrius came out and uh yeah we went for dinner that was that was really <laughs> so yeah it's funny because i did all of this work in the tourism industry over the years and then i did this mba program here in um NBI Norwegian Business School. It was a, a modular program. So you, I would work as a tour director and then, and then I'd come back and do these modules. And uh, our modules would take place at Instituto de Empresa in Madrid, at, at, at um, Nanyang Technological University in, in Singapore, most of them at BI Norwegian Business School, one of them at Haas School of Business at uh, UC Berkeley in California. So all of these uh, modules and all of this training, and uh, it was kind of a smorgasbord of, of activity and learning. And I ended up picking out two of my favorite subjects. So one was intercultural communication and, and intercultural management. And the other one was entrepreneurship and innovation. Yeah. So through that, I ended up getting more and more involved in a variety of areas in those two fields, uh, 
for example, I joined the Society of Intercultural Education Training and Research and organized their Congress at Dublin City University. I learned about the Founder Institute and said, hey, the Founder Institute should come to Oslo. I should introduce them to Oslo. So I started working toward that and introduced Founder Institute to Oslo. And since then I've run three cohorts of, of startups here in Oslo. And then uh, COVID hit. So the last cohort in Oslo on Tuesday, March 10th, I was running the, um, the program and we have what we call the mentor idea review. And we were all at one of our partners, Kluge Lafer in, in Schuvholmen, a part of Oslo. And we all knew that, you know, anything might change any minute. You could already feel the tension with COVID-19, the behavior of, you know, we used to have all these snacks and buffets and whatever. And, and everything like that per break. And then we would only have, you know, this time pre-packaged uh, bars of cereal or whatever. So everything had to be pre-packaged. Nobody could touch the same food as other people might be touching it. All these things. And the next thing you know, um, I was also lecturing in qualitative research methodology at Heisken and Christiania here in, in Oslo. And on, on Thursday, the, the morning of March 12th, I woke up early and I checked my email because I was expecting this kind of news that said, don't come in and lecture today. We're going to give you Zoom training and you're going to do the rest until further notice online. And we also knew the government of Norway at, at that point, the following day said, okay, everything stop. We're doing a, a lockdown and so on. So Founder Institute went online. My university lecturing went online and everything changed from there. And we, we finished the rest of the cohort online and I finished that whole semester with the students at Christiania online. Yep. And uh, along the way, um, Eugenio Grappa and I, we had been in a project in the language industry and we both have a passion. We'd been for languages. We both have a passion for languages, the polyglot community and been to polyglot gatherings and so forth. And, and I had introduced uh, him to Founder Institute to set it up in Germany, in Frankfurt, I mean, in Germany. And, and his team had ran one cohort there uh in person and now they were getting ready to do an online cohort and i said well why don't we team up and do something in the language industry as well so in addition to running the normal one in parallel we could we could bring language startups together yeah and we decided that it'd be a good idea Hmm. and we reached out to the polyglot gathering organizers because i'd been a volunteer at the polyglot gathering for about three years a sponsorship coordinator and we reached out there and got the support to offer a fellowship to somebody and and to promote it, and I spoke at the lightning talks there at the last, which was also an online polyglot gathering. Mm. And we brought a handful of language entrepreneurs together to, mm. you know, to get the benefit from the structure, the network, and the mentorship that we offer, but the offering also extra, extra courses. So we had like the psychology of learning. We're going to have one on content creation and one on, the, on a bit of the, the language learner profile. For the, for the customer development side uh, it, as it relates in particular to the language learning industry. Yeah, so what is it exactly what you do with the Founder Institute? Um, who is it for? And uh, yeah, well, how, do you, how do you help them? How do you help yeah, them? that's a good question. The Founder Institute's the world's largest pre-seed startup accelerator. So it began in the context of the Lehman Brothers meltdown when it became more and more difficult for startups after that to raise money. 
And so Adeo Resi, who is a serial entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, he decided to start an actual pre-seed accelerator. So all of these accelerators were in person at the time, all the way till COVID-19. And he expanded it from Silicon Valley to different chapters and all to all to the six continents around the world. So we have some very well-established chapters throughout Europe, including like Berlin and London and Barcelona. And Oslo had never had a chapter before. So I, I figured it would be a great opportunity to introduce them here. And so it's about mentorship, uh, mentorship and structure and network that a startup can have. So any, any kind of startup that can use, for example, technology to scale yeah. would be a good, a good uh, potential participant in the program. Mm-hmm. And they would be able to, to benefit from a curriculum of 14 sessions that we start with an orientation and vision and validation and onto customer development. And then we include sessions like on revenue. So getting a business model and getting a path to revenue. And later on, we have product development. We also have pitch training, which is ongoing, on, ongoing part and leadership, which are parts of, of this uh, ongoing process that they need to understand. Mm-hmm. So the pitches, we, we call them hot seat pitches. Yeah. So we start with a 60 second pitch. And we move forward to a three-minute pitch with slides and then later on to a five-minute pitch. Mm-hmm. And so we also have among our network, we have, of course, angel investors and, and venture capitalist uh, leaders of vent- venture capitalist funds and so on. So we can make the introductions when the time is right yeah. to these people. And we have the, the panels of the mentors always reviewing the pitch quality. So you want to make sure that the pitch is is resonating well and that you're getting the points across in a clear way to make a compelling message yeah. so that people are able to, to want to, you know, you, you want to attract talent, you want to attract investors, you want to attract customers. And if you're not able to have a clear message, yeah. then it's going to be difficult for you to attract any of that. Yeah. So we, we always need to work for, for the founders to make sure to improve. Yeah. And you work, I mean, your pro the program that you run is specifically for startups in the language learning, in the, in the language learning industry, right? So, yeah, we've been uh, generalists all the way in Oslo up till now. And also the first one in Frankfurt was generalists. So what we've decided to do is in parallel to those generalists is offer this extra support for the language industry because Eugenio Grappa and I, we have that passion for the industry and those connections in the industry and the kinds of experiences in the industry that we feel are relevant for the founders in this in this space can you can you give a few examples of you know who this is for is this for like people who want to develop like a language language learning app or like what kind of give a few examples of people who went through these programs or yeah, so in the in we haven't had uh, somebody. Of course, this is the first time, and it's actually the context of COVID that I think this is even possible. Yeah. Because if it hadn't been for COVID nineteen, we would have been doing, of course, face to face sessions. And in any city around the world, I don't think you'd have the critical mass of language startups to to make this possible. So because we're virtual, we have uh, we have a startup founder in Monterrey, Mexico. We have one in the UK, and we have one in Germany at the moment. And we also had one in Switzerland. And it's a bit of a boot camp style system, uh, US style, um, almost like the Survivor reality show or something in some ways. Because about two thirds of the people, they usually won't make it through the program. So it, it is a way of, to validate as well the level of, of the quality of the idea and the level of the commitment of the startup founder. Because mm-hmm. you do find a lot of people are playing around with the idea of entrepreneurship and they're kind of testing the ground a little bit, but they're not sure if they want to quit their day, day jobs 
And this gives them that kind of sandbox to play in. But when they're really serious about it, they make it through all these hoops and they're actually proving themselves that they have a viable business model and they're actually able to finish the program that they're able to pitch clearly and, and be compelling and start to attract, you know, advisors, board, board members and team members and so on. Mm. And you start to see certain levels of traction taking place and you see an, an, an improvement an ongoing improvement of, of the work that they're doing, of the pitch that they're doing. And so these are the kinds of people that will make it through. And so if it goes to the startup, uh, your question was about the startups in particular as the language industry, then this is kind of um, uh, a, a case for us to see if we might do this again. Uh, if we run a virtual session again, I think we could extend this into the intercultural space as well, because when you learn a language, you learn that, but then also you start to learn the way of the culture. Mm -hmm. Some languages like English have many cultures, the cultures in the UK, the cultures in North America, the cultures in Australia, you can go on and on. Whereas some languages are, are more targeted to specific cultures. And so you don't get as many cultures um, affiliated with some of the languages obviously the more a language goes over borders the more cultures it has and the more it's inside only one country or inside one specific group it it's closer to a monoculture but but imagine getting to those levels of cultural integration so uh, the comfort levels that immigrants have to integrate into a new country or that expats have the longer their stay is in a different country the the more they want to be comfortable in that in that country and understanding some of the the cultural norms of the country that they're living in so imagine expanding this into that space as well that might be the next step and that's what the society of intercultural education and training members usually are dealing with those kinds of issues so the contacts that i have with that organization can be quite helpful and what we're going to be doing next month is i've invited the startups in the language industry from this cohort to present their ideas and we can start to create kind of a dialogue and a debate around some of these issues about what what can the language learning space do to go beyond only learning a language but also learning a culture and, and helping people on issues that they might be struggling with in a new country or or it might be that they haven't left their country but they're working with people from another culture and so they learn that language and they have to learn some of the ways of that culture as well of course these we don't want to work on stereotypical levels but on deeper levels and individual levels as well yeah so can you give a few examples of of, of startups that you're working with i mean we don't need to know the names but just an example of like what they do is it like i don't know language learning apps language exchange apps is a website is it, it it's mainly driven by technology right it's mainly online yes it's going to be driven by technology so we can think of virtual reality you can think of um also of artificial intelligence and so you can think of uh, ways that the language learner might be struggling. It's all about the problem. One of the things that's most important is to consider the problem. So if you're a startup, whatever you're doing, you should be trying to solve a problem and you should be the right person to solve the problem and have the right kinds of people on your team. So you, mm -hmm. you can have the access to the people in the industry and the experiences in the industry and so on. So in all of these cases, the, the startups, uh, they might already have experience in, in artificial intelligence or in virtual reality and so on. And then they want to use some of these tools uh, to solve a problem around language learning. Hmm. Is it, 
do, do you always, as a startup, you know, either in the language industry or in another industry, do you think that it's always necessary to, to raise money? Uh, the raising money question is a really good one. And you do get companies that haven't necessarily been worried about raising money on a large level. Um, one example is Steve Kaufman with Link. Yeah. And he's, he's got a podcast as well on Entrepreneur that people can listen to. Mm. He, he mentions that he subsidizes it with the um, industry in the, in the timber industry that he's in the lumber industry. Yeah. And so I'm a big fan of Link. And I'm, I really appreciate it of, of, of the ability to use Link. I, I use the Chrome extension, especially with a variety of newspapers and so on that I'll, I'll be able to, to, um, to do that with. And then I remember with Peter Galanti, he had uh, an investor that actually, it was a lot about the, the advisory information and the use of an office space more than investing monetarily. And, and I've used... Um, that program for Chinese, Dutch, and and Norwegian at the premium level because you get a little mean, chat, mean, uh, innovation, innovative learning, or yeah, the yeah. 101. Yeah. So I've paid as a premium level user uh, for Dutch and Chinese and Norwegian. And so he has, um, he has an app and you can be like, if you're commuting, you can be on your phone and open the app, open the app chat part and start typing sentences uh, and and seeing what the teacher five days a week the teacher will come in and correct your sentences okay and then the teacher takes two days off and the teacher will tell you which two days off they're taking so five days a week you're actually getting feedback in the language that you're a premium member of and so on yeah. um, and then you can see another person you've interviewed is uh, Tobias Dickmeis yeah. Uh, he from Tandem, from Tandem he has recently been featured in TechCrunch is raising I think it's 1.3 million. And so he mentions that in order to achieve the, the dream, the vision, because one of the things that we teach startups is the vision as well. So the problem, the problem solution is a typical form of communicating what you're about. You, there's this problem, here's your solution, let's solve it. Another part is the vision and what Tandem is offering is the vision. So, so Tobias Digmais is offering a vision with Tandem. And in order for that vision to exist, he needs the investor money. So in order to create that community and have a product uh, and in order to pursue the business model of Tandem, he needed to have investors on board because it would have been super slow because it's, a, it's about network effects when it comes to, uh, to something like Tandem. You need that community. If you don't have a large community, then you're not going to get there. And that, you can use the same story for Facebook. I know they were bootstrapping. They were using boot, uh, Facebook, I mean, um, Google ads to earn some money. So they were never really in the negative. And they would just had Harvard University students. Yeah. And, but the vision was there, a, a huge community. And to get there, of course, it was about having investor money on board. Yeah. So you would say like the question whether a startup needs investment or not all depends on, on their mission. Like if you want to build a language exchange app that connects people from all over the world, like Tandem, for example, I mean, that can only work if you really have users from all over the world and the only way to do it well not the only way maybe but one way to do that is by having lots of um well budget you can spend on on, on marketing and promoting your app in, in other countries right yes that's right you, do you do you think it all depends on on the mission and other examples of startups maybe in the language learning industry that managed to grow without any any uh, raised capital yeah i think you talk by um by Richard Howes, um, Hassan, I think, 
uh, which was EuroTalk and now UTalk. And I think uh, Peter Galant's uh, Innovative Learning and I think yeah. uh, uh, also Steve Kaufman's Link are good examples of organic growth. Yeah. They have a different kind of mission uh, and different set of values. Um, uh, so that is compatible. You know, uh, one of our mentors is also, I'll just name some of our mentors who are on Longpreneur. So yeah. it's Gabriel Weiner, Tobias Dickmeis, and Peter Galant are all mentors for this particular group of, of startups in the language industry mm-hmm. in this particular cohort of Founder Institute. And they all have um, interviews that, that you've done, Jan, on Longpreneur. And Peter, um, and, and sorry, uh, Gabriel Weiner's story is that he's raised money on, on Kickstarter and then moved it over to Indiegogo. Mm-hmm. So what happens with Kickstarter is you, it's all or nothing. You make your goal. And if you don't achieve that goal, then you don't get any of the money. So people aren't being charged. Whereas on Indiegogo, it's, it's uh, not all or nothing. So it's a good place to go to the next level. So you reach a certain high goal and you, you set your high goal and you say, okay, if we're going to make it here, we're going to make it. And then you can move your campaign. Once it's over on Kickstarter, you can move it over to Indiegogo and, ra- and raise further mon- money mm-hmm. there. So that's a good example because he, he was the application known for raising a record amount of money on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't stop with just Kickstarter. He recognized the, the potential to raise further funds on Indiegogo, which is a really good strategy. Start on Kickstarter, meet your goal, exceed your goal. The deadline is there. Yeah. It's over. Move it over to, to Indiegogo for another. Usually it's one to two months, I think, that people are, are doing with it. Yeah, so just for, the, yeah, just for the people, you know, just for our listeners. So we're talking about Gabriel Weiner, right? He's the, uh, the founder of uh, an app called Fluent Forever. I interviewed him. I don't remember which number, which, which episode that that was. But yeah, he basically raised, I think it was between two or three million, right, for, um, for the Fluent Forever app. Um, uh, yeah, there was something else that I wanted to ask you. So how do you, I mean, I, I receive a lot of emails from people who have an idea, uh, people who have created something, you know, a website or an application. Um, and they're, they're showing it to me and they ask me, Jan, what, what do you think? How should, I, how should I proceed? So let me ask you that question. If, you know, for all our listeners who have an idea, or maybe they have like a first version of the thing that, that they're working on, um, what is the next step? Like, how do, you, how do you validate that what you have created is something that the market needs? And yeah, how do you go from there? So what we offer in the Founder Institute is the vision validation and the customer development sessions early, exactly for this reason. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing you want to do is you, you build something that nobody's going to use. Because you could spend a lot of time and money and effort on product development and you can have a really beautiful thing and it might work perfectly, but if nobody's going to use it, then what's the point? Mm. So in order to avoid that kind of problem, which you can then call a sunk cost uh, fallacy, uh, that you just spend all your time and energy trying to promote that thing and get users on it, you go all the way back to the root uh, cause, and that's really understanding the problem. So the, the story of how I got involved in Founder Institute is also pretty interesting because it was from a group of mentors who some of them were from Croatia and some of them had been mentoring for Founder Institute before in the Croatian, in the Zagreb Croatia trap chapter. One of them has permanent residency here in, in Oslo and others were visiting. And then they had their team of Norwegian mentors and they had a kind of an event that they were calling uh, the, the startup drill mm-hmm. or the lean startup drill. 
And the philosophy is that they get a bunch of people who might want to work together. Think about Startup Weekend, which gets people together for a weekend and tries to like have a hackathon and work around solving a problem around a certain industry usually. Mm -hmm. Whereas what they were doing is they were having no particular industry or no particular problem, but they were letting people come to this hackathon during a weekend. And you would start by coming to the stage and pitching for 45 seconds not what you were trying, not, not your solution, not, not what you had already built or anything, but just the problem. Hmm. And then you would stand on that stage for up to 45 seconds, say what your problem was or what, the pro what, what is the problem so people could envision that problem. And then you would sit down and you'd have to wait for everybody to, to get through those pitches. And then they'd say, okay, now go form teams. So, so which which teams are, 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 which problems are big enough that somebody wants to, to work on. And mine was around the language learning uh, problem. So immigrants and expats, for example, in, in Norway with Norwegian language learning and so forth. So my problem was big enough that I drew a team together. Some problems were not compelling enough that, or the messages weren't clear enough or good enough or strong enough that they, they drew a team. So following up with the mentors after working through on, on that uh, workshop, I learned about Founder Institute. And what we did in that uh, workshop was, was we went around and did customer interviews around the problem. So we talked about uh, different things, like how much time are they spending on the problem? How much money are they spending on the problem? Mm -hmm. And what kind of access do you, as a, as a potential startup founder, have to those people who have that problem, who are spending the time and money to solve that problem? And how are they solving that problem now? Or, or what is the implication of not having that problem solved? So when you have the implication, you have an answer. Is it, are you going to create an aspirin or a vitamin is the cliche. Yeah. Because if you're going to create an aspirin, you're going to have a really big pain point and people really want to spend a lot of time and money to solve that problem. They'll spend more time and money to solve it because it's such a big problem. If it's just a vitamin, they're not going to spend as much time or money or they're going to forget about it and move on to something else because it's, it's a headache in a way. It's a, I mean, it, it is a, a kind of a problem. I shouldn't it's, say headache, but it, yeah. so it's really about offering a solution rather than an improvement. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the metaphor with the aspirin versus the vitamin. Yeah, yeah so how, how can you validate a business idea? So you asking yourself this question, is it talking to other people in the field? Um, yes, it's about talking to the potential customer. So you get out and you do customer interviews and you can do these in the pre-COVID time. It was a lot easier because you didn't have to rely so much on the virtual interviews, but maybe that's an advantage that you can easily get to people. Um, if you're in a particular market, maybe more people have more availability depending but it, it, you know, you have the B2B versus the B2C. So that's an, another level as well. Hmm. Because if you're, go, if you're going to, to have to get a contract with a, a, a business, then uh, that, that is something that you're going to have to reach out to the right people. Yeah. Some people are, are going to have more difficult times than others. So that's why the access point is really relevant as well. Yeah. Uh, because some people are trying to solve a problem where they really don't actually have the access unless they can get team members to, to join them who can start to understand from an industry insider perspective, it's going to be more difficult for them to, to gain that access. Mm -hmm. So what do you think makes a company or a team successful? I mean, one of the things that you mentioned is that there needs to be a clear problem that they are solving, right? Um, 
how important isn't is it to have a good team and and what makes a good team i mean based on what you have observed so far yeah, the, there are lots of different uh, philosophies about what makes a good team and there's sometimes some some forms that you can find as well like tests like maybe you call them pseudoscience or whatever so one of them is um uh, joe abrams has has a test and um that test is the bossy so it's a, a bit of a marketing funnel f for him as well so what happens is he he will um he will uh with the bossy method he'll say that you have a a particular profile that you have you're maybe you're a builder an opportunist a specialist or an innovator he'll say and where are you maybe you overlap across a couple of them and he'll say that the ideal team will have all of those in them mm. uh so so there's a few there are a few different things that consultants will use to say what's in a great team i think a combination of personalities there's a tool that we use called the diversity icebreaker and the diversity icebreaker has three colors um, red green and blue so on a high level the green is kind of like the the grand scheme the dreams and so on the blue is kind of the logic and mm -hmm. and then the red is kind of the social uh side so if you have a dominant side on one of those then you need to consider maybe having team members who mm. have the others yeah. some people are more close to the middle more balanced i've taken that test three times and each time i was a little bit different so one time i was red one i was green and one is blue but that's because i'm close to the middle yeah. uh by nature i'm a little bit of all three uh i'm more some people are really dominant on one area than the other so they have to be aware of their weaknesses if they're really great at grand schemes and and big dreams but they're hard at implementation and logic and and hard at social skills then they need to have people on their team who are going to balance that mm -hmm. out and 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 whatever imbalances might be there these tools are great for just self awareness and conversation pieces yeah. I, i don't believe that it's a good idea for anybody to just put 100 100% blind faith in any of them i think it's it's basically a great conversation piece and a great starting point for dialogues and awareness but then you, i think you can also develop into those other areas as well and start to if you if you're a little bit shy or whatever you can start to develop your social skills more if you're if you if you're not the big math person you can develop your math skills more or whatever yeah so it's really about building a team that well covers all these aspects that like Yeah, you know that come together. You that you have all these skills as a team. Yeah. Um, well, so you have been working with with well some of the names that we've had on the podcast. You said uh, Peter Galante, Gabriel Weiner, and uh, who else was there? And Tobias Dickmeis from oh, and Tandem. Tobias as well from Tandem. Yeah. yeah. So what we what are some of the things that are needed for a good pitch? I mean, you just said that. You know, your students get the opportunity to to pitch the mentors. Yes. yes. So, what do you think makes a good pitch? That's a really good question. So, I'd like to start by mentioning that uh, I feel that the first thing is to start with the problem and its magnitude, and make it clear and make people so they can picture that problem. Even like maybe you have a really good example of the problem. And by sharing its magnitude, you you have some numbers to back it up, and so on. Mm. Then I would say the next part of the pitch is to explain your solution and how it solves the problem. I would also recommend including your value proposition. There's the business canvas model, and you could do some analysis around the business uh, around the value proposition, so that you could understand that more. 
And then I think you need to tie that value proposition into what you develop as your brand, as well as what is your business model. So how do you make money? Mm. So when you're doing your pitch, you need to include all of these. And then what's your target market? And then your team. You, it, it's always good, great to talk about the cohesiveness of your team, include a slide with your team together, for example, and so on. So why you? Why those team members? What's the secret sauce, if you will? And what are the next steps? So what are you looking for? What kind of team member do you think you need to add? And why, for example, if you're looking for investment, how much do you want and why? Because that's part of your vision that you could create. I gave the, that you could create. I gave the example of Tandem. As, as the vision. So the vision, if you're pitching and you're having a slide deck on the vision slide, your vision for improving the world, what you'll do with that money and what you'll be able to create. And I think those are the, the main points. I would also say uh, to include uh, an analysis of the competition. So uh, there are a couple of ways to analyze competition. One is a two by two matrix where you only have two yeah. factors and X and Y access and you analyze two factors. I generally don't like those because they only get into two factors. And I think you could have more factors that you can analyze your startup versus the competition. And by having a grid, a competitive grid, you could go into three, four, five, maybe even six different factors and say, we have this, you know, and of course you're going to have all six that you're covering. And then these, the comp- competitions only having some of them two, some of them four, some of them three, whatever. So you could visualize that on a competitive grid. And then of course you end with your contact information. Yeah. So something like a QR code, like I've got here uh, on my Zoom and so on, these would all be helpful. So you could connect to the people, they could connect with you afterwards. And in the, in the age of um, digital world, I would say that you should be sending that pitch out to email, maybe even find out who the investors are, send, send it out in advance. It's not a bad tactic. Uh, have some appendices with, with more info if necessary uh, to back up the figures and so on if people want to dig further. And if you're in the room, assume that everything will go wrong with technology and, and know how many investors will be in the room and have a, a hard copy for each of them and deliver, give, them, give them that and be prepared to have an extra and be prepared for nothing to work and you have no slides to show and just be prepared to do a pitch with your body language and your voice. Mm. What's the number one mistake that startups in the language learning industry make and how can they avoid it? Uh, The number one thing is probably building something that somebody doesn't use. Uh, So I, I think going into product development before you've done enough of your customer validation, talking with your customers, is, is probably the biggest mistake. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure there must be a large number out there of, of startups that you've never heard of because they've, they haven't really taken off. People haven't been using them. Yeah. Uh, so so again, building a community, sorry? So again, it's skipping the validation. That- yeah, skipping the validation. It's really important to validate. And uh, there's a, um, Paul Graham has a, a blog post called Do Things That Don't Scale. In that post, he talks about really building a strong community and, and a really strong rapport with those early adopters. Mm. Those early adopters are people you could really get a greater depth of insights into their behavior. And I think another good source for you to get into on the customer development level is Martin Lindstrom. He's a Danish branding expert, and he published a book about three, four years ago called Small Data has a few videos on YouTube. And that particular book is a gem. It, it was on the curriculum for the class I was teaching at Christiania. 
last uh, winter in qualitative research methods. And it's a real good gem for customer insights. And he goes beyond just the interviews, but does a lot with observation. Yeah. He's also traveled around the world and worked on a variety of projects, uh, which it's fascinating. If you're interested in starting a company, it's a good read for you to get into customer insight info. Mm, yeah, I, I'm hearing a lot of parallels between, you know, what makes a startup successful and uh, just online business in general. Like just when I ask you how you create a good pitch, like the format that you, that you were describing, that was almost like a sales page, right? So you start with a problem, you talk about what a solution could be like, and you present your solution, you tell how it works, you offer value proposition contact information, which is basically the call to action, right? The sales page is exactly that. And now um, you, you said that it's important to talk to the early adapters. I mean, yes, that's how you grow a business. It's the same thing for people, you know, for our listeners who have an online language business. How do you grow a business? Well, by focusing on your buyers, right? And how can you do that? By interviewing them, for example, and really try to get an understanding of what it is they like about your product, what it is they don't like, what else they want, right? You can offer them more products. So, yeah, I always find it fascinating, like to see how, you know, parallels within language learning as well, by the way, online business and other things that you're um, sharing here. Um, yeah, that that's basically, this all comes down to the same principles, right? Yeah, good parallels, yeah. And another thing is when you are doing those customer development interviews, it's really important to always ask open questions. Don't get into the mistake of asking these simple yes or no questions or, or these questions that will just totally lead into your assumptions to validate your assumptions. Yeah, it's true that. <laughs> yeah, you've probably seen um, that Yes Minister video on YouTube with yeah. the leading questions <laughs> where you can get any kind of answers that you want when you just... <laughs> Like bullets of questions and getting getting out of them what the info you you want, yeah. but um, instead, yeah, it's all about open questions and a lot of listening. And the all, other part is the silence. Don't be afraid of the silence. It's always uncomfortable. Yeah, and just let that. Yeah, when you're asking the questions, yeah, yeah. and and that person is done answering the question, don't just ask your next question, and yeah. don't just read off your list of questions like automatically. So first of all, listen really careful to what, carefully to what they're saying. And secondly, if there is something that is really interesting about what they're saying and then they stop talking, just yeah. let that silence sink in and let it sink in long enough to see if they continue to talk and elaborate on that subject because that's where some deeper insights might come in. Yeah. And if it is something that you really want more info on and they're not actually willing to open up without breaking the silence on their own, then instead... Uh, ask them open another open question relating to that. Simple questions like, tell me more or yeah. tell me some examples or can you elaborate? These kinds of things. Exactly. Or please elaborate. Yeah. I, I, I recently read the book. It's called The Coaching Habit. And it describes exactly what you were, what you were sharing now. So basically you ask a question and you know, some... Indeed, like when you answer a question and, and the, the other person is silent, it means that it's a good question, right? So... You, don't distract the person from the question, but just wait and you're going to have a very uncomfortable three, four, five seconds, right? But then the answer that comes, you know, that's the thing that, that you really need to hear. And most of the time people, it's the same with online, with online, I mean, with, with coaching in general, like you ask people about the problem that they have, 
but sometimes that's not the real problem, right? So therefore, it's very important to say, you know, can you elaborate? Um, what else is on your mind? What else? What else? You know, these are often the best questions because that's when, yeah, yeah, uh, that's absolutely. when they tell what what's what you really need to know. So how can you? How can you how can you talk to your your buyers? You just send them an email. You say, "Hey, we're doing some research here. We would like to get a better understanding of 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 you." Um, would you be yeah. up for a talk, or how do you how do you do that? Yeah, there are many ways you can do it. Obviously, in um, in a pre-COVID world, it's it can be about if it, especially if you're B two C, you can go out and try to see where the customers are. So. You always would think, okay, where would those customers be? And then go to those places and then just uh, just stand around and start, you know, with your notebooks. Ideally, you'd be three people, one person to take notes, one person to conduct the interview and one person to do nothing but observe without even taking mm. notes. And then after each interview, you would, you would do a kind of dissection of what went right with the interview, what went wrong with the interview, what, we, what would you do to improve the interview? What questions might you change? What might you eliminate? What might you add and so forth? And, and using that evaluation on the pain points and, and, and rating, the, rating the issue, the magnitude of the problem, the amount of money they're spending, the amount of time they're spending on the problem and the access that you have and analyzing again and again around those points. So it could be on that level or it could be something you have to do with Google ads or Facebook ads or, or something like that. It could be with a survey that you're doing. It could be with the contacts on LinkedIn. I think warm contacts are always best. If you're more of a B2B, then I think LinkedIn and I think a tactic on LinkedIn that might work better than just um, in-mails or ads there could be instead to, to try to connect with people and try to uh, demonstrate your thought leadership. So publishing articles two or three times a week on LinkedIn around the space and then to start networking with people more and more, either warm, warm introductions, see who, what kind of people you want to get introduced to and why, and then uh, ask for an introduction or just send them, if, you're, if you don't seem to have that connection already, just send them out a request to connect and with a nice message of something relevant and saying, hey, we're in the same industry or we, I see we have common interests or whatever, it'd be great to connect. And then just start building a rapport and a dialogue with them, sharing some of the quality articles that you've written, trying to add value to them. It's a slow relationship building process in a B2B world. Um, in COVID-19, it can be quite different than, you know, we used to have trade shows and a lot of in-person big events and so forth that have generally been canceled. Uh, so B2B people are on a different uh, level right now than they're used to. But it really does depend on what kind of market you're trying to reach, though, how you would approach this. Any, any final tips for startups or people who are considering to start a, to start a startup? Yeah, to start a company yeah. or to start a startup <laughs> in the language learning industry? Yeah, I think a lot of times people always would, would be thinking when is the right time and so on. And so if, if they are, are wondering about that, it, there is never a right time. So, so just get moving with it. And, you know, you know, it's the right time to leave your day job when you've got all this, this other validation out there that you've uh, managed to achieve. And so if, if that's the case of somebody working full-time at a day job and this doing the startup on the side, then that's great. Just get going. And if it's the case that you, you're sitting on, on a nest egg and you, you have the, the, the leisure of benefit, uh, you know, full-time work on your startup and no, no distractions of a day job, then just get going and remember the customer development 
as a starting point and that vision. So they say, they say, don't pivot on your vision. You can, you can pivot on everything else, but the more you understand the problem, the more your vision will make sense. And then as you start to pivot, you'll find, okay, your customer group was wrong. You need to use this, uh, go with this customer group. But, mm-hmm. but the more you've understood again, the problem and the vision, the, the less problem you'll have, you'll succeed because you know, the problem is there and that your vision is, is there and you could work with that to move forward. So it really starts by observing a problem, creating a simple solution to that, putting it out there, interview your users, listen to what they want. Um, if they are willing to pay for it, is that something that you can, that you can validate in interviews or is that something that you just have to try? You definitely can, definitely you should be validating that during interviews. It's the quality of a very good interview is to find out how much time and money people are spending to solve the problem. Mm. And, and that's where you've decided where your beachhead market will be. Because let's say you've interviewed a hundred people and you start to get a different demographic and you see that like 15 of those hundred people are spending, are spending the most time and money and especially the money to solve the problem, but they have some different characteristics than the eight, other 85 that are quite distinguishable, then you know your focus is going to be on those 15 people. And that's going to be your beachhead market. You could enter into the markets of the other 85 later once you've, you've built that up with those eight, that particular kind of demographic. You could call it a persona mandala or a persona, customer persona, and you can focus on developing that first. Those will be your early adopters, and then you could get the other groups later but it is about focus yeah and, and you might not need 100 I, sometimes 20 to 50 kinds of interviews on that level uh, uh, also uh, with observation can be enough and this is on a this is on a, a b2c level of course yeah. b2b would be sometimes a quite different uh, setup altogether yeah Again, these are all the business fundamentals, right? So you create something and then figure out who this customer, ideal customer avatar is, as we always call the Langpreneur. So who are yeah. these people that are willing to spend money? What's on their mind? You know, what, how, old are, how old are they? What interests do they have? Where do they hang out? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, really interesting to, to hear that. So for anybody who is interested in, the, in learning more, where can they go? Uh, the the best place is to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, so Dimitris Polychronopoulos at LinkedIn. There are a few of us. I'm the only one in Oslo. And most of the people listening to this are in the language uh, field. So I've got a large network in language. So we're probably second degree connections <laughs> uh, if you're on LinkedIn. If you're not on LinkedIn, you can try me on Facebook. I do have the O on Facebook. The, Facebook at one point made me, I think I was traveling too much and they they didn't know I existed. They thought I might be a fake profile. Really? I, yeah. Um, so they made me send a passport and I have an O. <laughs> you know, the Greek name in the passport has an O, but the, the tendency is to get rid of that O. Uh, Greeks generally don't put the O on in more casual form. So I have the O on my Facebook um, profile. And we're probably uh, connect. We have probably mutual friends there as well because I'm in a lot of different polyglot groups. And... I've been to two polyglot conferences and three, four polyglot gatherings. <laughs> three. Yeah, so I have a, 
Um, so that would be a good way to connect. If you want to see the website of Founder Institute, especially if you're not necessarily in the language field, uh, then fi.co is the website. And you could see where we're running all over the world. And um, we hope to run uh, another language and combine it with culture next time and have a vertical again. So we'll see next year. Uh, just get in touch with me if you're specifically interested in the language space for language startup. And we can keep in touch about that. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.